I've been really trying, baby, for 3,000 years. But that is a Marvin Gaye song, so we need... Ah, yeah. We what, need... Um, what, uh... Can't get enough of your love, babe, or... I can't get enough of your land, babe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know... <laughs> Oh, yeah. Baby, I'm going to occupy your land. This goes out to my, my baby, Bill Maher. This is for uh, for all of y'all out there in the Judea, Samara, Samaria. <laughs> baby, my love's like an olive tree. When I, when I take over your hills and valleys, I'm just gonna lay down your, lay down your trees. My darling, I can't get enough of your land, babe. My Arabs? <laughs> I don't know, I don't know why. Can't get enough of your land, babe. Is he singing to like, um, all of the Arabs or? Oh man, just like the more you give. <laughs> Some things I can't get used to, like how you used to live here before us. Just like the more you give, the more I want. <laughs> Those 67 borders just ain't enough for me, babe. <laughs> Tell me, what can I say? Hasbara. <laughs> how should I feel when, every, when you're everywhere? <laughs> The Antifada is more than a podcast. It's a specter haunting the globe. It is the synthesis of the two most frightening things for the cheerleaders of this reactionary power world. One ravaged by the unbounded savagery of capital and its states. Antifada super soldiers and Antifada. Bash the fashion of global uprising. Be prepared to enter the Antifada mindset. Welcome to the Antifada. I'm Jamie Peck. I am Sean KB. And we have here with us today a very special guest, our friend Neeral Shaw. He is the managing editor of Blunderbuss Magazine. Very cool publication I've written for in the past. Check it out. A DSA member, a friend, good friend, good comrade, and a charter member of the professional managerial class. Hi, everybody. Nero, I have to say, um, Jamie's birthday party the other, the other night at your house was uh, was pretty excellent. Uh, it was my pleasure to, to host everyone. I feel so lucky that I have friends who will let me have parties at their house, like multiple ones in a night. Like after your party, we went to, or my party at your house, we went to Matt and Jessica's house and had a second party with almost as many people. That sounds great. I mean, it was, it was excellent having everyone over and uh, meeting some new people. Some new comrades. I heard you. I think I missed this because I went home at about two thirty in the morning because you guys are all monsters, and I had to go get some sleep. But uh, didn't the neighbors complain about the noise? Did that happen? I had a little bit of an issue with my upstairs neighbor or uh, my, the subletter for my upstairs <sighs> neighbor. Ah. And so you know, ordinarily I would have said, uh, "I've lived here for seven years. You're a subletter, and you can fuck off." Mm. But. Uh, uh, you know, it was this British guy and his French girlfriend who is pregnant, and the, oh, okay, the the pregnancy thing sort of made me uh, feel a little a little worse about it. So I agreed to turn the volume down. I'm gonna. 
get them like a gift card to a sushi place or a slab of raw par- pork is an apology. <laughs> yeah, maybe some uh, RU486 as well. Yeah. <laughs> I hear pregnant ladies really like that. Maybe just like a gift box with some earplugs in. I'll keep it mild. See, I didn't know the context of it. I was going to comment on um, how far the uh, borough has fallen since uh, it's Friday night in uh, Williamsburg in a loft building and somebody's coming down and being like, turn down the music. It's too loud in this Williamsburg loft building. Actually, you know, I was hired by Airbnb to have obnoxious parties late at night to help <laughs> give tourists part of the authentic experience. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is professional and managerial. Well done. You're raising property values all over the place. That's that's probably did you are you the one who got me kicked out of my home two blocks from you? Most likely, yeah. I'm just what I want is to to make the neighborhood safe for more new American small plates restaurants. Mm. <laughs> With one one uh, word names like salt yeah I- ideally yeah and mm. and stores that just sell varieties of salt also all oh, right yeah pink himalayan sea salt small business owners white himalayan sea salt well i will say <laughs> earlier today we were talking about this when we went to the bagel store which is probably my favorite bagel place in the area for, you the, say? for the people who don't know it's it's a bagel store, but it's called the bagel store. Yes. It is. And it is mm-hmm. a legitimate bagel store. And for a minute, I was getting a little bit worried about them because the one over by Bedford, the one on Bedford closed, and there was only the one on Metropolitan Graham. And then they came up with something called, it's like this psychedelic rainbow bagel. And it was somehow promoted by Jonathan Shaban, who's like this LA douchebag who's known for being on Keeping Up with the Kardashians. See, and I now they're calling it. Was- it I thought it was Guy Fieri. That's more like a Guy Fieri thing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, Jonathan Shaban's horning in on his territory, I guess. Like, they're calling it now the bagel that broke the internet. And it totally worked because every time I go in there, it's full of European tourists buying rainbow bagels. And, like, I, I mean, we obviously, as real New Yorkers, we know that rainbow bagels are bullshit. And they That's put, they, there's like cotton candy in it no. and like some sort of funfetti no. cream cheese, which no. is just like, it's wrong. It's wrong. I, I almost feel like this is an anti Semitic attack I th- against I think, me I, and I my think people. Just like pineapple on pizza is anti Italian American sentiment, I also think that you're right. You cannot make a rainbow bagel and you cannot put funfetti flavored cream cheese. On your rainbow bagel. Rainbow but, uh, bagels are violence. It's a microaggression. Hold on. Really. If, I, if I knew we were going to attack pineapple and pizza, I wouldn't have fucking come on here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, look, look at all these articles. Rainbow bagel craze brings crowds to Brooklyn. And like they did interviews with the owner of the store. And it was actually kind of sweet because he's sort of like a 60s guy. And he's like, hey, this is, uh, this is my personal self-expression. I make uh, psychedelic swirly things. That's all. That's what my, <laughs> is, my generation knows how to do. Is it Jimmy Reefer cake? Does he, uh, uh, I, I think our neighborhood just kind of needed its own cronut. And, and that's yeah. what we got. But we were talking about it earlier. And we realized that if these rainbow bagels, are, if this, if this anti-Semitic violent abomination of a bagel i don't even want to call it a bagel it's hard to call it a bagel uh, if these these rainbow baked goods um are going to bring in enough business to subsidize the continued existence of a place we enjoy really good fucking bagels the real bagels that aren't rainbow they're like normal colored are fucking awesome they're like crispy on the outside they're not too big they're soft on the inside they make really good spreads you know good sandwiches i just wanted to tell all those europeans in there 
Like, if you like the rainbow bagels, have <laughs> I got the thing for you? It's called a bagel. <laughs> They're really good. Still, though, the lines are pretty bad. And if we're going to have foreigners subsidize my lifestyle and needs, I'd just rather do it directly with a pied de terre tax. <laughs> mm. Fair. Today, we're going to talk about our good friend, Barry Weiss. Barry Weiss. Over at the New York Times. New York Times. Uh, yes. Ms. Weiss was on MSNBC's Morning Joe on March 8th to talk about her latest hot take in the New York Times op-ed page about how social justice warriors are shutting down the free exchange of ideas on college campuses and the world. SJW. Which, as folks. you know, is the exact same thing. They're, they're basically synonymous. So uh, before, let, let's just play the clip. Identity politics on college campuses. Also joining us for this conversation in Washington, White House reporter for the Washington Examiner, Sarah Westwood. Good morning to you both, Barry. It's always good to see you. Thanks, uh, the headline of your column is We're All Fascists Now. Talks about Indeed. what's happening on our, our cultures. And using a recent example of Christina Hoff Summers going to a campus. And it's this idea of speech being treated as aggression, speech being treated as violence, terms like fascist and racist being thrown around casually. So Just annoying. briefly explain who she is and what happened. So Christina Hoff Summers is a former philosophy professor, a registered Democrat, and a sort of heterodox feminist. She takes aim often at the, ex at the excesses of third wave feminism. She says things that have become taboo, things like, you know, the gap in STEM fields is not just the result of sexism, that actually contrary to received wisdom, the American school system is more harmful to boys than girls. She says things that piss people off, and she often does it with a wicked sense of humor. Which are often true, by the way. Yes, yes. and there's tons of research to back up right. a lot of these mm. things. Things that, if you said them at an evolutionary biology or psychology, psychology conference no one would bat an eye wait pause it yeah because an evolutionary psychology conference is clearly a neutral forum populated only with reasonable people i i think it's just a kind of science i think if you were an evolutionary psychology conference and you were up there talking about the inherent inferiority of black people everyone would listen to you with an open mind as long as you had an acceptable waist to hip ratio <laughs> that's mm -hmm. right that's right I think doesn't everything, uh, it goes back to the savannah, right? It's about the environment of evolutionary adaptation. I mean, it's it's a fact that when we came down from the trees, uh, we only had two genders. So that's right. Uh, that must dictate how all of us behave. Yep. Crowder did nothing wrong. But the question of gender difference has become so third rail and taboo that you're not even allowed to touch it. You just have to parrot the line that gender is completely a social construct. Anyway, she goes to Lewis and Clark, invited by the Federalist Society to give a speech to the law students there. And a letter is circulated among nine student groups accusing her of being a known fascist. This is someone that is, again, a registered <laughs> oh Democrat God. and a feminist. Oh, oh my God. What outrageous a behavior. Democrat and a feminist. So, yes, actually, when he laughs with her at the absurdity of the assertion that this woman could be in any way associated with fascism, um, actually, I did 10 seconds of Googling to check on this fact and found an article in Gizmodo that uh, tells me Christina Hoff Summers is a bit of, she doesn't call herself this, but this is essentially what she's doing. She's a bit of a gender essentialist, shall we say gender realist? Mm, I don't know. Um, how, she, uh, how slippery of a slope is it from gender realism to uh, race realism? Mm, fairly. Okay. Fairly, I would say. Um, she is known as the based mom of the internet's far right. She regularly associates herself with alt-right figures and 
right-wing figures like Steven Crowder um, and Radio 314, which is part of Red Ice Radio, considered by the Southern Poverty Law Center to be, quote, a white nationalist media group. I mean, has she ever hung out with Mike Thurnovich, though? <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, even she might be a little too good for him, and uh, she knows it. She has hung out with Milo, though, right? Yes, she has appeared on Things with Milo. And the fact that she's, like Barry Weiss is saying, you know, nobody who's a registered Democrat and self-described feminist could possibly be associated with fascism. Well, this is actually a commonly used tactic on the right for people to claim that they're members of the left so they can then discredit the members of the far left and people who they perceive to be to the left of them and also as sort of a Trojan horse for ideas that are actually very reactionary. Like Gizmodo quoted the top comment on the Radio 314 post of the episode she was on. And this person said, I think it's awesome y'all had CHS on. She's a wonderful way to educate people about feminism, i.e. why feminism is bad. And she easily appeals to leftists. I.e. liberals, I think he's I trying think, to say yeah, that. Yeah, I think he means liberals. Who otherwise wouldn't listen to the arguments. So, so they know what they're doing. Yeah, um, either this MSNBC guy either did not check or he is sort of in on this tactic that uh, a lot of people on the right are using. I find it interesting um, because it is on Morning Joe, right? And is Morning Joe considered, Matt, do you know, to be a news program? Or is it one of these, they can get away with not doing journalism because it's just a talk show thing? Uh, I think they think they're more news than, say, Fox News uh, would consider itself. Like, at least consciously, I would guess. It's a, is it like Fox and Friends? Or is it... It's sort of Fox and Friends for liberals, yeah. Okay. But although, yeah, ran by... Joe Scarborough. Yeah, who's a who's a moderate um, conservative, conservative, <laughs> whatever that means anymore. So yeah, I mean the MSNBC guy uh, on the Joe Scarborough show not not even doesn't check, but um, completely buys into it and, and laughs about the whole thing. Like, oh, what a fu- what an outrageous fucking thing that could happen that they could call this person a fascist. Like you said, he's either in on it uh, and he's caping for this sort of shit, um, or the media is not really good at its job. I think it'd go either way, to be honest. I think that there's this echo chamber that's created with, with people like Barry Weiss. I think that the, the clicks that this sort of shit gets, uh, her article you know, about uh, PC fascists and social justice warrior folks, it kind of um, it creates this sort of echo chamber, you know, this knockoff effect. I, I think there's just, you know, th- this is about uh, people needing to be civil with each other, right? And I think there is this mm. decorum that they're a little bit obsessed with that blinds them to the substance of the things they're actually talking about. Yeah, like this liberal respectability politics where as long as you're saying it calmly and in some sort of seemingly reasonable, respectful, calm, nice way, you can espouse viewpoints that are very reactionary that's that's why i'm using or, my podcast voice now to say that <laughs> uh, none of these people should be writing for someplace like yeah. the air times op-ed page or Boom. you can get the benefit of the doubt first. at very least you know like if maybe he, if he dug in a bit deeper he would find out that well, her views are actually not calm or reasonable or even nonviolent necessarily. Speaking of um, digging in deeper, let's talk about the tweets that uh, mm. <laughs> they were forced to retract that she uh, cited in her piece. Yes, so the New York Times was forced to issue a lengthy correction, which is 
pretty funny to begin with to have to do on an op-ed piece, right? <laughs> but um, my opinion needs to be corrected officially. <laughs> but like, yeah, they they still have to support their opinions with facts. And it yeah. turns out Thomas Freeman supports it with like cab rides in Calcutta. But yeah, you're right. It, with general. like some sort of at least yeah, maybe some of these anecdotes are made up, but um just just goes to show you like the bar is already quite low and then she managed to duck under it. So in this same column about social justice warriors, she quoted something purporting to be an official <laughs> Antifa Twitter account. Which we're taking that shit over. Right off the bat. Official Antifa should, should be a bit suspect to anyone who knows anything about the anti fascist movement. Um, she quoted the official anti Antifa Twitter. <laughs> Um, that has been, it was actually unmasked a while ago by BuzzFeed as if it needed, even needed unmasking. (laughs) Again, 10 second Google search. To judge from some of these tweets. (laughs) Give them to us. Uh, us So, so the original passage in her op-ed goes, she's talking about all the people who've been smeared by the fascist campus left, the hard, the hard left, the intolerant left. Yeah, the left. So, among them, Dave Rubin, a liberal commentator who favors abortion rights, is against the death penalty and married to a man, yet is denounced... Yeah, yeah, so is Milo. I don't think that really proves anything. (laughs) Yet is denounced as an anti-LGBT fascist, quote, and a, quote, fascist lieutenant for criticizing (laughs) identity politics. And where did these tweets come from? Well, at official Antifa. (laughs) Every time you say that, I laugh. uh, (laughs) Where this is a tweet from official Antifa. It says, looks like the alt-right needs another reminder that Berkeley is our campus. (laughs) No platform for racist, anti-LGBT fascists on our campus. Hashtag resist. Hashtag racist Rubin. Now... (laughs) Having been, having been involved in some uh, anti-racist action and some antifa shit in the past, I can just imagine, you know, Berkeley's our campus official antifa. Like, you go to orientation on your first day, and they take you onto the Berkeley campus, and uh, your RA's like a, a crusty fucking, uh, he's a crust punk wearing like an, a crass ass flap and uh, smoking meth. It's like, yeah, I'm your RA. You know, welcome to, <laughs> welcome to Berkeley. This is our campus. You know, you, you go into class and the uh, the professor on the first day and you're like uh, Western Civ class black, is all blacked, blacked up. up. Yeah, he's blacked up. He's got the black uh, bandana and everything on. This is our campus. Official Antifa. Steal all your books. <laughs> Download them on torrents. Listen to Blatz. <laughs> We're gonna fuck shit up tonight. We're gonna fuck shit up. Then, of course, you know, they introduce you to uh, the speech code and tell you that you cannot contradict the line of official central HQ Antifa, That's which right. is the, the people who run this Twitter account, obviously. Exactly. Or they will shut you down. Mm-hmm. Probably with violence. Um, so, yeah, there's another tweet from the official Antifa <laughs> that she... Um, that she quoted from, looks like the fascist Lieutenant Rubin report is speaking at an alt-right event today. You know what to do, comrades. <laughs> hashtag Antifa, hashtag no platform. <laughs> Again, you know, Antifa, that's, I mean, it comes back to how ridiculous the idea of official Antifa is, right? Because it is a very loose network and it's basically based on 
you know, this voluntaristic tactic of showing up, you know, at particular events. Um, some of this no platforming shit I agree with. I certainly did not cry when uh, Richard Spencer got punched in the face. Um, but, you know, it's a very loose network, and a lot of these folks tend to be anarchists. And the idea that they'd be like, hey, comrade, you know, it's just, it's so absurd. Grab your to- bandanas, my colleagues. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to Berkeley. <laughs> <laughs> to Telegraph Avenue. Mm-hmm. Let's have an organized smashy, smashy campaign. Yeah. Now, Jamie, you're going to take this rock, okay? okay. Nero. You smash that Starbucks window. Yes. You smash that Starbucks Nero, window. Nero, you got the trash cans, okay? Make sure you throw them in the street. I'll get the newspaper baskets. And we'll all meet back up afterwards at the iPhone at the other Starbucks that we didn't smash. (laughs) (laughs) Boom. Exactly. So just to give you some idea of how obvious it, I mean, it should be obvious already from the name, but how very clearly fake this Twitter account (laughs) is. Here's another tweet from them quoted by a Buzzfeed uh, with some pictures of military cemeteries with uh, like the crosses knocked over and, and stuff it says oh, i'm sorry about that guys i was <laughs> i was drunk more pictures from our hashtag memorial day hashtag destroy hate day of action <laughs> great work from at beverly hills antifa <laughs> and at mar-a-lago antifa <laughs> great job guys <laughs> Thanks for the logistical sport, uh, Aspen Antifa. <laughs> Couldn't have done it without your skis for the smashy smashy. Uh, we still have a hot tub date on Saturday, right? <laughs> if only, if only, if only it were that luxurious to be an anti-fascist activist. I feel like there'd be more of us out there. Hey, well, I mean, that Soros money is flowing, but it's not that much money. No, mm. I mean, it's good for like the occasional schwitz at the banya, but you know. It's not Aspen money. Mm. Yeah, so here's a question I'd like to open up to the panel. Um, Just like, what does the New York Times think that they're doing here? Because I've heard, I've seen a lot, I come from the media world, and I've seen a lot of tweets from folks like Maura Johnston, who used to be my editor at the Village Voice and has since gotten out of the game because she's smart, like everyone who's smart is doing, um, saying that, Basically, this is a tactic that's carrying over from the blog world now to the New York Times. They've sort of been lowered to the point where they're now engaging in the same kinds of tactics, trolling for hate clicks. Um, You know, I think that's fairly self-explanatory. You post something that you know is going to make people angry and correcty, and you watch the traffic roll on in and hope that that translates into money so that you can keep your jobs. That outrage uh, echo chamber. Yeah. And, and she blamed it on the people who click on it in a very, like, this is the part I disagree with, in a very, like, lifestyle, politics, individualist, consumerist kind of way. Right. We get the New York Times opinion page we deserve. If you don't like Barry maybe, Weiss's maybe, columns, don't click on them. Maybe this is my naive nature, but I don't... You know, I, I don't see reason yet to attribute bad faith to the Times. I think the Times is an institution that takes itself extremely seriously and is kind of grappling with how to continue to be this place where, oh, we represent all of you. So we're not we're not biased. We continue to have at least some conservative voices, but they don't they don't know what to do about that. Conservative now. voices that sometimes claim to be liberal. 
Right. But what, what they're trying to do, I think, is continue to show this idea of responsible conservatives, right? The, the conservatives that liberals want to have exist, the people with whom they can have this exchange of ideas. The problem is if they actually put representative conservatives on there, you'd have just fucking crazies, frothing at the mouth, conspiracy theorist assholes, the kind of people that, you know, used to be relegated to WorldNet Daily and now publish on Fox News. So instead they have people like David Brooks or Brett Stevens or to some extent Barry Weiss. They have these people on who can't really express anything positive about conservatism. They, they, none of them want even to defend Trump. So the best they can do is take pot shots at liberalism in a way that is hooky, maybe is going to get them clicks, but really it's the only space there is in a place like the Times for a quote-unquote conservative. I mean, I buy that. If uh, the Times really wanted to do uh, ideological, uh, ideological diversity, I demand... Alex Jones, Monday and Thursday, and Bob motherfucking Avakian on Tuesdays and Fridays, all right? Because that's the real spectrum of crazy. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I can, I buy both of your points on that. I think that in terms of the hate click thing and uh, also in terms of the respectability thing, I think the best thing to look at is that um, Sherry Bice, what's her name? Barry Weiss, Barry White. Uh, Barry Weiss um, wasn't just given an opinion column. Uh, to, you know, to blather this dead horse bullshit every once in a while and beat it. Uh, she's, she was also put on the actual editorial board of the Times itself. So it, could, it is a hate click thing. It is a respectability politics thing. Uh, it is a uh, let's take people from all ideological spectrums, you know, except on apartheid. We're only pro-apartheid people. But or, or capitalism, which in or, that, leaked, uh, yes. that leaked conversation from the head of the op-ed page, he thought, you know, uh, was it James Bennett? I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but... Capitalism, that one's settled, right? We don't need to... Totally settled, mm. 100%. Um, yeah, and, and I, I think the proof that there's something um, more something more happening is that Barry Weiss was not only given an opinion column, she's also on the uh, editorial board of the Times, which is when they write, they write from the editorial we, right? It's the editorial board of the times so where barry weiss is only one contributor hmm. amongst how many like 12 people right so if it was merely that they wanted hate clicks or merely that they wanted uh, another person to come on and be the respectable moderate conservative they would have just given her an opinion column they wouldn't have put her on the actual editorial board at 33 years old i think they I mean, she's kicking ass I barry weiss is kicking ass yas queen yas i think they want to feature the range of respectable opinion but they're they're kind of realizing the the falsity of what a quote unquote respectable opinion is that are they opinions that are that are somewhat absurd just can't be on there there's a side of the right they can't feature and at the same time they're restricted by the range that's visible to them uh so actual left voices are not visible to them they don't think it's part of that discourse yeah, they don't think it's respectable or they're more willing to take whatever losses they're going to have from not featuring those voices rather than open themselves up more to criticism of being the liberal mainstream media. But I, I, you know, I think that goes to a more general problem of the institutional liberal left being overly concerned with uh, disapproval from a segment of the country that's already written them off. Well, 100%. If maybe if we want to change the Overton window back to where it should be, we should all cancel our New York Times subscriptions yeah. or and or subscribe so that we can cancel them. 
like our good friend Sophie Wiener did just the other day. Uh, I, I would, I, but to completely contradict my point from before, I just can't give up on the hate clicks. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What if um, it arrives on your doorstep? It's like a morning hate read. It's like like a cup of coffee, like a strong cup of coffee just gets you ready for your day. As, you know? as, a, as a fascist leftist, I believe in having a morning hate. <laughs> right? How I many mean, minutes? <laughs> we, we do it in the morning. We do it night before bed. Like there's, I mean, let's not put time constraints on here. We can hate 24-7. Right. That's pretty much our job. I think there's an important place, though, for making the argument that leftists are not focusing on the real fascist, just accusing liberals of fascism to mm. put that in a column uh, where you're accusing leftists of fascism as a liberal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, not hypocritical at all. Um, I just want to read off Sophie's excellent feedback to the New York Times. She recently canceled her subscription and they asked her why. And she nice told them, them a little to bit. And they said, thank you for sharing this honest feedback with us. What we try to do every day is present our readers with a range of viewpoints in order to spur new thinking and discussion, but never to offend. In fact, many of our readers request and expect from us that we'll expose them to new and sometimes challenging perspectives, as long as they're intelligently reasoned. Many of these don't align with the views of our editorial board, or maybe they do now, but as a news (laughs) provider, we have to maintain our objectivity. And Sophie said, yeah, unfortunately, they aren't intelligently reasoned. And objectivity isn't real. Even if you believe you're being objective, you're always pushing a certain perspective through the viewpoints you choose to share, which is true because they have, you know, center right to center left and nothing outside of that. As a journalist, I believe it's more important to be transparent in your views, which in the case of the Times is status quo neoliberal capitalism, boom, than to pretend to be objective. The Times does great journalism, but as a leftist, I can no longer justify spending $15 a month on a paper. Wow, that's expensive. On a paper that regularly denounces college students for taking in free speech and says that a leftist podcast is the equivalent of Nazis. I wonder what podcast that is. I hope you as an employee get all the benefits entitled to you. Yeah, see there she goes for like the worker angle and are not just a contractor and that you and your coworkers organize to demand the working conditions you deserve. So not only did she cancel her subscription, she's possibly going to foment a labor uprising. Beautiful. That's our sofa. I, I think that there is actually a piece of the times that does do that that task a little bit better. Uh, I know it pops up on the app at least. It's It's views from across the political spectrum. And it's interesting to watch them, first of all, struggle with who from the right they're going to feature in there. Uh, and there, there are often kind of contrarian conservative views, but they'll link to the National Review online. But they've also featured Jacobin in there more than once, actually relatively frequently that's now. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that succeeds much better than their op-ed page does uh, at the task of presenting opposing, sometimes disagreeable viewpoints. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I also think they're not mutually exclusive. Like, you can be trolling for hate clicks on the one hand and also uh, legitimately grappling with how to include any right-wing points of view. Like, there's no way that... I refuse to believe that those trend stories, like the ones about Williamsburg as the wilds of Brooklyn (laughs) that were written, like, last year, (laughs) or the hunt... You can't even have a loft party on a Friday (laughs) night. (laughs) Or the hunt pieces on some clueless child of privilege's fascinating search for an apartment. I can't find a two bedroom apartment for $5,000 in the East Village. Like, I refuse to believe that those are published in any kind of good faith. They are 
they're, they're written purely, they, back in the day when Gawker was still a thing, they were written purely to get on Gawker and get all the hate <laughs> traffic that that would afford them. Well, again, we, we go back to, and we just keep... Uh, oh, at, at the expense of children, by the way. Here, on here's the backs the of clueless, clueless children Let's, who have no idea what they're th- getting those, themselves into by being in these colleges. Those are hate who, reads, but at the who same subscribes time... subscribes to the fucking New York Times? And who are the advertisers of the New York Times going for? The kind of people whose kids have a $5,000 fucking budget for a two-bedroom apartment while they're at Columbia, NYU, wherever the fuck it is. Those are the people that the Times is going for and that's what also is reflected in their ideological stance so they're double dipping yes so they're getting I, the sincere I, traffic and the hate yes traffic. Exactly. exactly i once had the extremely awkward moment one morning of sitting down with my uh with my dad and uh his wife uh reading we were all reading the times i started railing against one of these articles when the extremely uncomfortable fact came up that uh my one of my stepbrothers had gotten some parental support for buying his first place the the audience in the suburbs of professionals, yeah, they have money saved up. They're doing these things for their kids, and and the people in the suburbs don't actually know that much about the city, and this is the knowledge they get. And for the people who are roughly our age writing them, it's a little bit entertaining to give people rope to hang themselves with. Yeah. No, I think some of them, at least the way some of them are written, you're definitely right. Like, but, they they chose those quotes for a reason. Okay, let's just, let's just all agree. They're double exploiting dipping. the children. They're double dipping. They're getting the hate clicks. And they're also getting like the top five percent mm. of American income earners in the and United yeah. States. You know what? If they started running a socialist column, we're double dipping by appealing to our side of the demographic and getting hate clicks. I'd be totally fine with it. Yeah. Why yeah. the fuck don't they do that? Oh yeah. Well, advertising. They're they're still they're <laughs> still discovering Williamsburg. <laughs> so maybe in five years from now they'll discover Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. <laughs> and I did find a job uh, finally last week. So I'm making that good union rate. Mm. And by God, did they fucking kick my ass. Be on the bench for like four months and uh, going back to doing marine construction. The foreman was such a prick. He had me going so hard. Like he was, he convinced me that I had to strip all this, these concrete forms, which was really laborious. And I'm standing on a, um, basically like a column in the middle of the Hudson River with like 20 foot drop on both sides with no harness on, with a giant wrecking bar and a chipping hammer, and uh, just trying to smash this wood out of this concrete. And I went at it hard for like three hours. And uh, then the foreman like went home. And then the other guys come by and they're like, all right, we're gonna wrap it up now. I said, I thought we were gonna, you know, do more work on this. I, you know, I was trying to finish it by the end of the day. They're like, you idiot. He was just breaking your balls. It's your first day. And he killed me, man. Like I, I got to that point by like, you know, an hour before the job was over where like my muscles are giving out, but I was like, first day on the job, got to keep my job. And I'm like, bah, just hammering away at it. Jamie saw me on Friday night. Oh my God, I had to uh, help him. I napped, couldn't walk. I napped when I got home because it's a 6 a.m. start on this job. So I was up at 4 a.m. So I napped. And when I woke up, I, we were supposed to go to birthday dinner and I literally could not fucking walk. The cramps were so bad. I like I, I ruined myself. I, my job is pretty similar in terms of being physically grueling. I'm I'm convinced <laughs> that the lumbar support on my office chair is meant for someone slightly taller. <laughs> I guess we Sean's not scared. His boss is going to listen to this. No, I doubt any of uh, any building trades foremans uh, will listen to this. Although hopefully some rank and file that'd be really nice. Mm-hmm. We should switch um, jobs for a week, Neil. I I think that'd be great. I mean, I give you my union <laughs> card. You give me your lawyers 
card. I, I think I'd be <laughs> honestly. I, I think I'd be very good at that kind of physical labor. It just need would need to be scaled down for my size. And <laughs> so if I can build like a forty percent size dock, a tiny house. Yeah, for a smaller boat, I mm. think I could really do a great job of it. All right. So what oh. we're, we're building right now is called the Titanic Pier. So we need a smaller pier, like a like a schooner pier. You can build a, a schooner pier. A dinghy pier. A dinghy pier. <laughs> a schooner is a sailboat. See, I'm doing my part for the Rev by uh, being so incredibly downwardly mobile that uh, the professional managerial class is lesser by one. Well done. Yeah, I know. I did that on purpose. If that class can't reproduce itself. Yeah, exactly. Um, I am adding to the working class. <laughs> they will someday rise up. That's some tanky shit, right? By just by my own personal lifestyle politics of having no money. It's, That's I, a choice, folks. I, I come from a long line of non-physical laborers. It's not my my fault that the caste system really made us specialize in inheriting privilege. Mm, exactly. <laughs> but isn't that uh, let's isn't not that, be? Isn't that the world that Richard Spencer wants, just like for white people? Uh, I, I think so. I think, um, and I, I believe in having a monarch. I just want ours to be a sadhu, just completely stoned out of his mind on bong, Indian uh, traveling barefoot priest. <laughs> that sounds lit. That's an interesting yeah. take on socialism. Let's talk about that oh, later. So, so I wanted to talk about how I first found out who this Barry Weiss person was. How did you? And I guess the first time i remember like noting who she was and her name was when she wrote that contrarian take like has the me too movement gone too far and i sort of lumped her in with all the um the neoliberal anti-feminist i wrote about in my blog in my patreon blog post about it um and then i looked into who she was a little bit and i saw the last thing she wrote that got a lot of play was a column called when progressives embrace hate about how the Women's March is bad because they are shrinking their coalition by including people who believe in Palestinian rights and oh. anti-colonialism. And by including those people, they're being exclusive towards liberal Zionist feminists. So There's always someone screwing up the human rights protests by insisting that Palestinians are people. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's a real problem. Which it's is an anti-Semitic. It's actually anti-Semitic just to believe that. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then I looked into her a little bit more and found out she actually graduated my year at Columbia. <laughs> and during that time period at, at Columbia, whilst I was mm, doing drugs and having mediocre sex and going to Miss Shapes and Unlike whatnot. Unlike your marriage with me now. <laughs> Sorry, go on. She was uh, an activist on campus. And what was she an activist for? Well... I thought it was bad that I was doing drugs and having sex instead of going to class. What was she doing? She was engaging in campaigns to try to get professors fired and denied tenure if they criticized Israel at all in an academic context. So I guess, uh, I, guess I really could have been doing worse things during college are than you, the relatively innocuous things I was doing. Are you trying to tell me that they were... She was saying that there should be no stage given to these critics of Israel that there should be no platform for mm. people who criticize Israel and maybe stand up for uh, Palestinians and uh, their rights? 
Yeah, I think that is exactly what she was saying. And I remember, I remember this vaguely, but I remember it. There was a big documentary these people made called Columbia Unbecoming. Uh, these about, people's anti-Semitic, by the way. Don't well, luckily, I have a shuttle pass because I'm <laughs> fully Jewish on all sides. On both sides, many sides, people. Top and bottom. Many sides, folks. So Inside and out. Yeah, and I remember this, and I was like, wow, who are these assholes who are trying to get professors fired for and criticizing she, Israel? She was well, one Columbia, of those Columbia unbecoming, in, in, in the bounds of reasonable liberal discourse, being unbecoming is just one of the <laughs> worst. <laughs> frankly, frankly, it's, it's unbecoming. Yep. Way, that is way to tie that back. That worse than insulting someone's mother, pretty much. So, and then they're, I realized, claiming, they're claiming that these professors are fuck are like anti semites, and that they're like, you know, excluding you know anybody who says anything nice about Israel, and that they're all these fucking crazy leftists and shit like that. And it's called Columbia unbecoming. Like seriously, <laughs> like he's right. That, just That's give yourself a fucking break. They can't even insult properly. That's, yeah, it's just this. Pathetic. This reminds me of a terrible incident. Uh, Princeton uncouth. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I don't even. It should was, I, dare was, I ask? It was horrifying. Was, uh, was that when official Antifa called for them to uh, to smash up the windows of the haberdashery? <laughs> the, the milliners just really. It was hard for them. Uh, and the shock of hearing about it, I my monocle dropped right into my martini. <laughs> and I realized there's a connection between these two things that I was just talking about, the Me Too contrarianism and the uh, Hasbara stuff. Um, Hasbara what? being a campaign of Zionist propaganda that goes straight to the top of the Israeli government and is very, very widespread within a certain sector of the Zionist-loving media, which I, is not the whole media, not even all the Jewish media. Don't get me wrong. Not all not all Jews, but... Uh, I, unlike you, I didn't go to Hebrew school, but my understanding is that the word Hasbara in Hebrew means explaining, right? Mm-hmm. Just explaining. So it, I believe it was a program by the Israeli government where they would train people to explain why... Zionism is awesome. And why, why Palestinians aren't people. Exactly. Why olive trees need to be destroyed if they're owned by Palestinians. You know, so mm -hmm. on and so mm -hmm. forth. Explain, just explain it. Otherwise, it's unbecoming. Exactly. So I realized the connection between these things and also the anti-SJW thing that she just wrote. This is a trick that she learned from Hasbara. That it, because it's all about making the victims look like the oppressors and the oppressors look like the victims. And this is something that was actually the ACLU. Glenn Greenwald did a great report on this. The ACLU, which is not like to get involved in Zionist versus anti-Zionist conflict, especially it, it was the New York branch of the ACLU, especially. Uh, yeah, like, sure. You can imagine what a fucking minefield that is. They actually went in and investigated the claims made in Columbia Unbecoming and came to the conclusion that not only were these professors not engaging in anti-Semitic violent speech or bias or whatever, they were actually the victims of a campaign to intimidate and oppress and discredit people who criticized Israel. And that is the NYC, the, the New York ACLU that decided that. So... Yeah, it's it's easy to see how she took that same ethos and continues to apply it uh, time after time. 
I was going to say that Hasbara is Yiddish for actually. (laughs) (laughs) Actually. So then, um, lucky for us, we have folks like Glenn Greenwald on our side who uh, is petty enough to use his immense training as not only an investigative reporter, but also a lawyer to uh, sort of expose her history of suppressing the free speech of people she doesn't like. Dan, yo, Glenn Greenwald is not afraid to take something relatively small like this and throw like 8,000 words at it. Well, it's not small because it's important for quote unquote the discourse, right? Like anyone who cares about the discourse that's happening at the paper of record. I'm just so, saying that that he probably, <laughs> Glenn Greenwald probably bangs like 8,000 words out in like an hour. He's mm, like, boom, mm-hmm. done. You know, I'm the, yeah. I don't agree with all his politics, but he his argumentation and the way that he writes is like clear, yeah. concise, boom. It's proven with you know facts, true facts stated, all that good stuff. But go on. So, yeah. So he did this sort of detailed report on her, <laughs> uh, and shall we say, anti-free speech activities during college. And she uh, tried to deny having done a lot of these things. But <laughs> then Glenn Greenwald turned around and he was like, actually, you're lying in this tweet thread you made because this and this and this and this and this. And here's a video of you saying this. So, like I said on Twitter, like, uh Probably shouldn't fuck with lawyers, you Hasbro hack. I'm I'm just glad we have people like that on our side who are able to do the legwork of showing why she and 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 you know what? I feel like if anything gets her fired, it's going to be this because the New York Times is totally fine with people who hold violent reactionary views, but if you engage, if you commit academic dishonesty, oh, forget about it. If you lie about something and get caught. Like Judith Miller caping, caping for the Bush administration in the lead up to the Iraq war, leading to maybe million, two million deaths. That's cool, but don't plagiarize. Don't do it. And also, um, the picture in this column was taken from a rally against Ben Shapiro, who is another slippery nerd of the right yeah i was mistaken in the beginning because i thought that barry weiss included him in this column about fascism you know on campus but uh as you said it's just the caption for it but uh you know ben shapiro does get no platformed all the time and he is a very very controversial figure uh he's called the cool kids philosopher Mm, so uh, cool as the new york times again trollingly called him the cool kids philosopher um you know, again, going back to the hypocrisy of this uh, Barry Weiss article, you know, Ben Shapiro's a Ben Shapiro protest in the caption. Um, ben Shapiro, like uh, Barry Weiss, uh, caped for the Iraq war. Uh, and like Barry Weiss is a committed Likudnik um, Eretz Israel Zionist. Um, and if she wants to complain about fascism on ca- on campus, Perhaps looking at Ben Shapiro's uh, quote here will give her an idea of what um, racism bordering on fascism yeah, looks like. And we can debate the uh, the wisdom of no platforming racists, but just calling someone a racist is different from no platforming them. So continue. Sure. So here's a direct quote that I got from the great uh, current affairs piece by uh, Nathan Robinson. Hopefully someday we'll be friend of the show. Great guy. Uh, This is Ben Shapiro in a uh, tweet. Quote, Israelis like to build. Arabs like to bomb crap and live in open sewage. Hashtag settlements rock. 
So this is nothing the nothing racist about that. Nothing racist about that. It's just inherent within uh, the Israelis that they like to build, and inherent within Arabs, ahistorically, that they like to live in sewage. And I guess they were bombing shit before there was even bombs. There's no, there's no need to retread the past, the distant past, like who started suicide bombing things first. Ooh, okay. So it's getting spicy. Oh, hey. I mean, so speaking of Ben Shapiro. I think there is a, an incredible amount of sophistry on display in all of these columns. And and by the way, like she's beating a dead horse here. This is a column that's been written How and rewritten. How many fucking Probably about times 20 times. Like, I mean, not 20 times, hundreds of times for the last 20 fucking years, you know? It goes back to Alan Bloom's The Closing of the, the American Mind, right? Which or is or talk- PCU with David Spade. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> talk Great about movie. academic dishonesty. Which was actually like- the last movie that that Piven guy didn't have hair in. Somehow he actually got hair back after that. Like, at Anyways. what point are we allowed to call this plagiarism when you just write and rewrite the same college humor movie that people have been enjoying for decades? Um, but... Both Barry Weiss and Ben Shapiro and other and people on the and Jeremy Piven, um, cousin to nephew to Francis Fox Piven. Interestingly yeah, enough, yeah, that's true. A um, comrade, comrade. The, the apple falls pretty far from the tree in this case. Um, they use some really bad faith tactics. Um, they attack the weakest points of the opposing side instead of the strongest, which is. You know, Sophistry 101. And they use some dum-dums on college campuses as symbolic of the whole entire left. I think that's the crucial point here, right? Is that, and we were speaking about this earlier, all of us, is that if you graduate from an Ivy League university, yeah, like Columbia, Princeton, Stanford, whatever the case would be, Harvard, um, and then you end up in one of the last plum positions in media, right? Which is working for the New York Times, the Atlantic, the New Yorker, uh, LA Times, whatever the case may be, or even CNN, MSNBC, right? Um, you're in this world where you're this sort of um, thought leader, right? Uh, whether you're a journalist or a pundit, right? You are the ones that are disseminating and creating mm-hmm. ideas. Hypothetically. And, you know, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Um, you could say that they're parroting the ideas of the ruling class, but that would be a communist critique. We don't do that here. But um, I think that one of the reasons why these people are so obsessed with college... Uh, besides is, the fact that they're sophists. Besides the fact that they're sophists and they want to paint these uh, PCU kids as the left, right? As the, yeah. the weakest Which, link by as the, the way, left. Like, I am willing to concede that some of these kids have some harebrained ideas, yes. as do most college students of most political orientations. I, I think it's perfectly legitimate to get up on stage in a jacket that says, stay woke and scream that microaggressions are are real, uh, mainly because it was a really good jacket and I had to wear it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, going to dig up that clip. <laughs> do a little compromise on our friend Nero. Now listen. Only I mean, he did it to himself already, so there's no, no but point. I, I not, think not, not, not for nothing though, but like if you look at probably the average age of like a, a, a real true libertarian, they're between 18 and 22 <laughs> and you'd have to be between 18 and 22 to actually believe in like, in all that, you know, know libertarian bullshit stuff right. like you read the fountainhead at 13 before your frontal lobe had developed moral reasoning <laughs> yeah, capabilities exactly. and by the time you're 23 and out of college you're like i'm a fucking idiot what am i talking about 
I want to get Social Security. That sounds awesome. But no, like... Um, Just like uh, Hayek got tons of Social Security payments while he lived in the U.S. Was Just like Ayn Rand, Rand, Rand fucking lived of off public benefits in her last days because she was such a nasty person that she had no one to care for her but the state. Well, so so to get back to my my the point that I was getting at before you guys derailed me with your uh, confession that you were the one you were the one Nero that did that uh, stay woke thing. Um, I think they these people can't stop being this dead horse because they have a real affinity with uh the academic world because they consider themselves to be thought leaders and they consider themselves to be tied into academia which is also this sort of supposedly thoughtful environment right but this environment of kids between the ages of 18 and 22 in like liberal arts colleges or larger universities whatever it is is not the whole world right and it's not the fucking left these people represent a small segment of the left i'm not trying to kick them out of the left because i couldn't even do that i'm not official antifa i can't kick people (laughs) out of the left or even bring them into the left right but the point is like you said the weakest link are these kids who are doing politics maybe for the first time right they're doing very performative politics right and as you know jamie right college is a very particular type of atmosphere right Mm -hmm. yeah i mean up until recently it was legally in an in local parentis situation where they were literally responsible for taking care of these college kids as if they were children and yeah they basically are still so it makes sense that they'd want to appeal to some kind of authority to resolve any conflict that they were having. But I mean, you're, you're young, you are distressed with the state of the world, and you want to feel like you can do something about it. But as a college activist, the only lever you can really pull is one that involves appealing to the administration. That's why you have campaigns like End Sweatshop Labor for like college-branded sweatshirts, because that's a lever you can pull. Um, you know, actually one thing that I share in common with Barry Weiss is that I organized uh, for like Save Sudan or anti-Darfur genocide things. That's something she did in Colombia too, apparently. I just read in her bio. Respect. And what, you know, what we targeted in that case was the college's endowment. And sometimes it's a real lever. Sometimes it's not. When you're dealing with something that's part of a, a discourse that's wholly external to the college. Yeah, you know, having having Charles Murray come by maybe at your school, unless you're Harvard or somewhere, isn't validating him in the external discourse, but it's a chance to express the the beliefs that you hold. And and for for these people to to be targeting college kids, it's 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 easy prey. Uh, it is it, it ties into something that if you want to make a moral panic, it always be, it works better to focus on the children. It sort of dovetails with this I, the outsized idea that conservatives have of the influence of the liberal uh, academia establishment. And it's also people who, despite their age, in some cases being 30, 40, 50 years old, their crowning achievement in life is getting into these schools. They're still so mm. proud of themselves for going there. Dennis. When they're, when they're <sighs> at school there, uh, the idea of their alumni struggling over their own current campus politics gave them the sense that what goes on there matters. They just have this outsized view of the importance of what goes on at a handful of college campuses. A hundred percent. And, and actually, I, I thought of while you were saying that a, a very interesting counterexample that uh, Barry Weiss hasn't written about, David Brooks hasn't written about. In fact, a lot of people, uh, you know, in quote unquote liberal media haven't written about, which is um, the, his, the huge struggle that you saw in Harvard University. Um, do you remember the hotel that was owned by Harvard? Yeah. And you had mostly immigrant, almost all women 
who were trying to do a union organizing campaign and Harvard owned the hotel and the property, right? And Harvard was trying to break up their union drive. This is something where students got very, very engaged in, right? Like real good politics that I agree with, right? Not as snazzy as social justice warrior snowflakes out of, freaking out. out of well, I think she and, would probably paint all of those things with the same brush. Well, but, yeah, okay, she she can, right? But there's a huge difference between those things. The other thing you don't see in in uh, in all this, oh, college is so fucking crazy, are graduate students organizing and winning union contracts, yeah, well, right? That's also leftism on campus, but that isn't uh, this well, outrage fucking echo chamber thing that these people want to get hate clicks about. Yeah, she's not talking about that because she wants to attack her opponent's weakest points weakest and not their points. strongest points. Sophistry, exactly. Well, like, I think uh, Nero started to hit upon a slightly more charitable explanation for well, this kind nice of behavior, of which is that these people... Socialists don't and, do like, charity. I, I feel like this isn't even totally clear to people who didn't go to these kinds of schools. These people are miserable nerds who are fucking obsessed with school. Are you telling me David Brooke is... David Brooks is not obsessed with school only because he su he fucks his research assistants, but also because he has some deep psychological need to go back there. They are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> yes. Like these are, th and this isn't everyone who went to Columbia, right? This, this is like the, per the kid who sits in the front row and raises their hand so many times Miss that the professor stops calling on them because they're fucking annoying Mrs. as shit. This is not all Scotsmen over here. <laughs> like like David Denby he's uh, also a member of the uh, shall we say media class he's not um, one of these shitbirds I don't want to throw them in the same disgusting basket he literally went back to Columbia and took the core curriculum classes again which most people don't want to take in the first place like those are classes that you have to take as part of your you know studies there to be well rounded and there's always a few that are like kind of suck and you don't really want to do it he went and did it twice that's how much he loves school and wrote a book about the great books and how great they are and how like he just keeps returning to this wonderful well, well of for conservatives there's an industry in using the university as the culture wars i mean this goes back to buckley like yale god god and man at yale or whatever right uh, it goes to the early heritage foundation funding what became the dartmouth review later the cornell review creating this entire pipeline of of uh of grievance in a certain way and this what we're seeing is you know just the most modern instantiation of it but i think particularly credible you know, credulous people like Barry Weiss, who thinks of herself as a liberal, probably buying into it and being manipulated by it. You hire, uh, you, you sign up a known fascist adjacent person like Christina Hoff Summers to come to your campus. You watch everything get stirred up. In the end, you know, she probably gives her speech anyway, and there's a Q&A, and it actually all goes down respectfully according to the norms of liberal academia. But what you focus on is all the hubbub and the lead up to it as a self-promoting thing in a way to keep furthering this narrative uh, of, of, of liberalism being out of control, which is also comforting for these people who find themselves on the critical end of that sometimes. Yeah, these things are all real. And also like show of hands, who among us has gone back to their college campus for fun since they graduated college? Me. I actually like, have, and I I've have. been involved with some of these squabbles that have happened. I was, uh, an alumni advisor for the Asian American Pacific American students for a brief while after I graduated. And there was a big identity politics dust up that happened at the school. And, um, a lot of students of color kind of organized and made a list of demands. And some of the demands were 
you know, over the top or they were the sort of college student demands to have yet another dean of pluralism and diversity affairs, which it's that thing where you have one lever and that's the one you pull. But these colleges, they, they, you're so proud to have gone there. They make it into being bigger than the world or representative of the world or the thing that well, drives the way the world the will world be. the world is scary and complicated and college is simple and like we're raised to believe that America is a meritocracy and if we just do the work that we're supposed to and we'll get an A and we can advance and like I there, had... There's also the insecurity that comes with it though. Like if you do believe so greatly and it almost goes back to that David Foster Wallace speech about if you enshrine your beauty... You'll... About the lobsters? That yeah. was Jordan Peterson, dude. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if you if you think of yourself as beautiful, you'll always be concerned that you're ugly. If you're obsessed with your intelligence, you always wonder if someone's dumber than you. When you have put so much importance on a degree like this, you find yourself being 45 years old and worried about the besmirching of your pedigree. Mm. God forbid that anything, you know, uncouth or unbecoming happens <laughs> at Columbia because yeah. you can no longer walk around waving proudly your Columbia flag. That's a really, really good point. And I will say for the record that I did go back to my... Uh, to my prestigious university known as the City University of New York, Hunter College. You all might know it. It, it might be a, a public public school, but they do call it the uh, poor man's NYU. And I went back uh, because I kept my gym membership for another year. So I used to play racquetball and work out there. Mm. I didn't do any activism, though. I, I graduated college about 10 years ago, and I have been back exactly once. Well, it's pretty far for you to it's, get all the way up there. Yeah, it's basically like going to another state. It's, it's like a, it's like a fifth, country. It's like a fifty-minute subway. I've, I've driven the three hundred miles to my school uh, a bunch of times, and I don't know. I feel some of that affinity to it also. But as a liberal leftist radical undergrad, uh, I thought nothing spoiled, ruined, or undermined my education there as much as geriatrics insisting that time be rolled back and my undergrad experience look like theirs. Word. Word. So, Tangent, sorry. No, no, it was good. So I think uh, this is a good segue to play our second Barry Weiss clip of the day. Oh, yeah? Um, this one, Shall we? I just want to issue a little trigger warning for this. Uh, anyone who... Content warning. Trigger warning reminds me of guns. Oh, mm, okay. Good point. Good <laughs> Too point. soon. Good point. A little content Actually, warning. Actually, no, whenever, whenever this airs, there might be a shooting the day before, so it, it's always like, you know... Mm -hmm. it's, it's evergreen. It's always know. too soon. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So anyone who's ever found themselves in a sexually exploitative relationship with their much older college professor, <laughs> perhaps Price. in exchange for grades or simply validation that their dad did not give them, um, if you want to skip through this part, I totally understand. Let's bring out Barry. She is a staff editor and writer for the opinion section of the New York Times. Barry Weiss is back with us. Hey, you. Hey, you. Mm. Very suspicious. All right, touches her. Oh, nice long handshake. He gave her the double hand, touched her on the back. Back so quickly, but you did do it. Everybody loved you, and also you're just put her hair back. Everybody loved it. By this point of the show, story does not check out. Oh, he touched her again. Ah, just a nice little. No, but I know we're both sort of fighting the outrage machine. Oh yeah, you are. The professional doing God's work out there. And let's just first get out your because I saw you got into some hot water for nothing. I've gotten in a bunch of hot water. Okay, but the. The She's immigration so it's to the point where like eyes. I don't even know what the fuck they're mad at anymore. I used to at least go, okay, I get it, I understand, it's ridiculous, but I get now I don't even understand what they're mad at. The tweet was what? You the you were watching the Olympics? Mariah Nagasu 
a uh, person born in California. Her parents are Japanese immigrants. Wait, pause it for a second. So this um, n number of weeks old dust up, Twitter dust up, um, is sort of the flip side of attacking your opponent's weakest points, where you pretend that your least egregious offenses are the only things people are mad about. Yeah, because this air, this was uh, this aired on Friday, but she's bringing up something that happened months ago. It was or quite, weeks ago. quite old by this point in time. So, um, yeah, continue. Did a historic we could skip ahead a little bit, maybe. Well, at the All Olympics, right, yes. I tweeted out a video along with yeah, a lyric fine, from Hamilton that said, immigrants, they get the job to. done. Now, the actual lyric is we. I got the lyric wrong. How dare you? And I was jumped upon. Now, here's the thing. Yeah, that's Any, what they were mad about. I despise about xenophobia. Anyone who reads my work yes, knows that I love immigrants. And the idea that I would in any way <laughs> contribute to a culture of hostility towards minorities and immigrants is horrible to me. And I feel awful that anyone heard it that way. What, what, sorry, what not is, sorry. What is, sorry, you got estimation mad. of why there is this fringe on the left that attacks people like you and me who they must know are not racist? Pause it. What? Yo, if he wants to know about fringes on the left, I'll show him fringes on the left. I want to expropriate his ass. I want his Malibu beach house. Oh, right? I thought you were going to reference Neural's jacket. <laughs> It is a great jacket, no, but but I love that this is the fringe, right? Like, actually, no, there's more and more people, Bill Barr, who want to take your ill-begotten fucking wealth, put your head on a motherfucking pike, take over your Malibu fucking mansion, collectivize that shit, and... And re-educate your young paramour. Exactly. But by the way, the last time that Bill Maher couldn't understand the outrage machine directed at him, I, and I, I could be wrong, but I think it was because he was yelling the N-word on his show, right? Oh, that <laughs> did happen, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can't believe this fringe gets so crazy when I drop N-bombs mm -hmm. on the show. Anyway. <laughs> yep, it's also like... They keep saying, fight the real enemies, fight the real fascists. And that's... Uh, Who are the leftists they disagree with, apparently. Well, yeah. It, or it, that's it, what you'd guess by what they're focusing their attention on. Yeah. Oh, let, let's keep going, though. I have one more thing written down here. Well, is it just lazy that it's just too hard to attack the real villains? I think that... A so you, you fight... I, battles way behind I enemy think, lines. I think, A, it's the narcissism of small differences. Anyone that departs from mm. woke orthodoxy gets a lot more yeah, heat, We are exactly the same as Barry Weiss. on the actual right. I also think that offense-taking is being weaponized. It is a route now to political power. White phosphorus is also being weaponized. So, um, I think we're looking at another, uh, at a phenomenon we already talked about, maybe, which is pretending to be a liberal or a feminist in order to attack the what the majority of liberals and or feminists believe, which is, um, it's pretty disingenuous. And it's something that, you know, in the Christina Hoff Summers piece on Gizmodo, that's something that these people copped doing. And I don't know if she knows she's doing that or if she's doing it because she doesn't realize and she's just kind of a dumbass but so once again i think this is a place where you and i disagree a little bit jamie uh or my my naivete is cropping up i think that barry weiss honestly believes she's a liberal i think what what shocks her about this is that and this is something we we saw kind of during the bernie v hillary wars there are a lot of people who are right in you know the center of respectable discourse they know that conservatives wouldn't like their views so therefore, they must be as liberal as it comes. And the revelation that there are people further to the left than them didn't sit well with their idea that 
They are the good people. They are the furthest left in the American political spectrum because they believe in the best things. And it, it kind of cuts at them. And so the way you grapple with that cognitive dissonance is to say that, no, I, I am the furthest left you can be and, and still be reasonable. And everyone else who disagrees with me is a crazy person and an asshole. I, mean, I think that's true of some people. But she was hired by The New York Times very explicitly to include a conservative viewpoint. And a lot of her views align very directly with the neoconservative movement. So I don't know. It feels it feels more slippery than that to me. Well, she's supposed to be sort of socially liberal, right? Like a young conservative, a young libertarian-ish conservative. I guess. It's also just a career. It's a good career move. Like It's pulling a Katie Royfe, right? Yeah. Like there's I was less. expelled from the left. Yeah. A, you can say you're on the left, so then you can say you got expelled from the left for very unleft views that you hold. Um, and then you can go right for a National Review. Yeah. And also like... Or David this, Horowitz. The number of progressive young women who call themselves feminists who believe in progressive things is much 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 greater than the number of young women who call themselves feminists and believe in reactionary things so if you're smart and have no moral compass or driving ideology or you're just sneaky you can do what Barry Weiss and Katie Roif do which is to brand yourself as this what, what did she call herself? A heterodox feminist. Right. And there's an endless supply of money for people who are willing to be that contrarian voice. Also, not for nothing in this video, you can cut the sexual tension with a knife. Oh, my God. Like anyone who's listening should definitely watch it because <sighs> there's a lot of um, a lot of physical language going on. I, I, there's a, a real vibe. I mean, I'm not an evolutionary psychologist, but I do think that you know the whole flipping the hair behind your ear to expose your neck the sort of doe eyes she's giving him the you know very sweet touching that he keeps doing with she's, her just she's like, trying just, to show the curvature of her spine in a way that maximizes her perceived fertility mm, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and bill maher too you know as a as an alpha because he's he's a real alpha mm -hmm. uh you know he's also you know doing uh you know, making making some movements towards her. You know, he's sitting oh up very God. straight. Like you said, I mean, it's just larger it's so arm movements, like a, a bird of a bird of prey. You know, yeah, uh. it's like a Brazzers. It's like this is like the prelude to so it's like bang bang bus. Like imagine bang bus, but it was fucking Bill Maher. Oh my! This God. is high, a highly anthropological uh. look into the mating habits of the professional uh. managerial pundit class. And Real like, time with Brazzers. Uh, God. And as disgusting an image as this is mentally, I think, you know, people like Barry Weiss and Bill Maher should fuck each other so that they leave the rest of us alone. <laughs> With the caveat that Barry Weiss is of childbearing age and, as far as we know, quite fertile if her waist-to-hip ratio is any indication. <laughs> so I, I don't want to sound like a eugenicist here, but... Please, Jamie, assortative mating. It's, it's assortative any, mating. Any We're race realists here. Go on. Any offspring produced by this unholy union would be the smuggest, most disingenuous and obnoxious creature known to man. I mean, nobody's saying that Bill Maher and Barry Weiss are fucking. No one's saying that they're smashing. No, that would be slut shaming. And would, we do not do that we at do the not Antifada. do that. But if hypothetically um they were making love to each other um 
can you just imagine what that would look like? Like, imagine Bill Maher, who's like, he's like 60 years old. The dude, like, probably smells like old fucking bong water, you know? Do this, I have a choice as to whether or you, not to imagine it? I'm imagining allow it. Allow me to paint the picture. Remember Please. that Malibu, Malibu mansion? Just imagine, you know, there's like the beach, like the waves are rolling in on the Pacific. There's mm -hmm. like candles lit. Bill Maher comes in wearing Zionist just a bathrobe. Zionist Barry White on the stereo. Yep. <laughs> Zionist Barry White on the stereo. And, uh, you know, he just starts to make sweet, sweet love to her. And uh, his 60-year-old ass, which is like all the glutes are gone from it, so it's just like skin hanging down and just flapping like a fucking uh, Tonka truck or like something like Isra that. Like an Israel flag in the wind. Yeah, like an Israeli flag in the wind. And uh, he just just pumping into her you know just slamming into her back, her walls. back walls hell yeah and uh she's like thinking to herself lay back lay back and think of eretz israel and then he, she says to him she says bill bill you gotta do the thing They're the only thing that makes me come bill you gotta do it and then he goes and he stops for a second and I would say that he would like readjust the condom, but they're totally not using he condoms. He readjusts his Netanyahu mask though, for Exactly. Sure. He goes and he grabs his Netanyahu mask because he knows what turns her on. And they make boom, boom. And uh, she makes boom, boom with BB. That's how I imagine that going oh down. God. I think that's how everyone's imagining it now. Sorry. That you've so polluted earlier. their minds with this violence. <laughs> That's a macroaggression. <laughs> Earlier, Jamie suggested that you watch this clip. Uh, and there's, I think there's a risk that we all take when we go on the internet with the, the panoply of sexualized things we might see. That fear, <laughs> that fear that no matter how disgusted and horrified your conscious brain is, that disgust sometimes is adjacent to lust and attraction. And you find out, you find out you have a fetish that, that, horrifies you but it's the only thing from now on that will work for you and i guess what i'm saying is as you bad have a as, yahoo mask at your house as you bad as this whole thing has been if barry weiss doesn't go on bill maher's show again i'm not sure i'll ever experience pleasure again <laughs> you've got that fetish now man man I'm, I'm I'm sorry. Just imagine if they did make babies. I mean, like she is of childbearing age. Imagine like the, the, the like you said, the smugness of this child coming out. And you know, she'd like send it directly. She, they go directly to the West Bank, you know, and they'd fucking go up on a mountaintop with like, you know, AKs and, you know, do some. Five uh, to one odds that baby comes out as a cop. <laughs> well, I mean. It's got a little, a little AR-15 in its hands. It'll be in the IDF eventually, you know, 18 it's years gonna, or so. No, like most people go on birthright in like college or afterwards and the goal is to get you to run away from the trip and join the IDF. This baby's going to do that in middle school. <laughs> they're they're going to move to the West Bank and Bill Maher's going to be like, new rule, Palestinians can't have uh, olive, olive trees. New rule, we're going to take all your water. Oh, man. I mean, don't worry, Neil. I'm sure you can get at least some of your Tinder dates to don a crisp white top and some large nerdy glasses and uh, just like look at you the entire time that you're talking without blinking and uh, say some fucked up shit about Palestinians. I, I think you have the sexual magnetism needed to convince girls to do that. And you know what? It's rough out there, folks. Dating in Brooklyn it's like if you like someone otherwise and they like got a few kinks in the bedroom like you'll do it only slight only swipe right of zionism's 
No, sorry. Only swipe right if Palestinians aren't humans. That's your shit. Unfortunately, I think you could find many people willing to do that sincerely. And then maybe that will that'll take the shine off it for you a little bit. <laughs> I actually have a personal story that I hope is somewhat illustrative of some kind of point that I'm making. So back in my years as a Columbia student, I decided I wanted to work in media, which was probably pretty dumb of me, but uh, what are you gonna do? So via a nepotistic connection, the source of which I shan't reveal, um, I got a meeting with someone who works at the Times who kind of gave me the rundown of how you apply for clerk job, which is the entry-level editorial position there, which, spoiler alert, is often decided very nepotistically. Um, I obtained a job interview. I went to the job interview, and I never heard back from them, even after several follow-up emails that I sent. And I later found out... um, and I asked, I asked my, my connection what was up with that. And he was like, oh, I don't know. I don't think they hired anyone for this job that they interviewed people for. I'm like, all right, they're, they seem to be having some trouble right now. Like, that seems believable. And then I later found out through my connection to him, who probably thought she was doing me a favor by, like, scaring me straight with some tough love or whatever, some tough talk, that this connection had found out that I was a naked internet model and therefore he could not recommend me for the position. And like, he justified this saying, oh, they just, you know, they got in trouble for the Jason Blair stuff. Totally the same. made shit up, which is totally, I mean, if anything, making up lies is probably the opposite of showing your naked body on the internet, because what could be more honest than that? Right? And I'm sure you looked a lot better than naked Jason Blair did. (laughs) Right? Or Judith Miller. Nothing but the naked truth, folks. So, it, it made me, at the time, I had a very, you know, sort of a youthfully arrogant stance, which turned out to be 100% true and justified in the years since, or at least I believe so, which is that any publication that's going to penalize me for being an out sex worker, right, because that's what, it is a, ty- a type of sex work when you go over to dudes' houses and let them take naked pictures of you. Um, Not all sex work involves P and V. Uh, Any publication that's going to penalize or shame me or shun me for that, um, I don't want to work for them anyway. It, It conflicts on a fundamental level with my ethics and my worldview. And I thought about this in relation to Barry Weiss for a few different reasons. I mean, first, obviously, I'm clearly just jealous of her. Um, she had got a way better job than me, and she still does. You're way hotter than her. Um, yeah, well, I think... I used to think that, but now I'm ruined. <laughs> oh, man. Um, no comment. No comment on that one. Not going to comment on another woman's looks in relation to mine. There are many, many more important things that we can drag her for. She's but, ugly on the inside. Yes, exact, exactly. Um, I think it shows this system selects for people who did not have to work during college, right? Because that is something I was doing for money. And it also made me think of what Glenn Greenwald said about the range of opinions represented in the Times. How, you know, they opine plenty about Islam and 
issues related to Islam. They have no Muslims currently on staff at the Abed page. Um, and you could say the same thing about sex work. I mean, they certainly have a lot to say about sex work. Um, Nicholas Kristof, for instance, wrote a very, very poorly informed, was it an article or a column? It's a column, I, I think. Very poorly informed column citing intensely discredited work of the quote-unquote anti-trafficking movement, which Lena Dunham then cited as her reason for opposing the draft policy of Amnesty International. Thankfully, she wasn't successful, but she was opposing this policy that they were basing on numerous independent studies they commissioned that show, um, you know, whatever you think about sex work, sex workers are humans. They have human rights. And like the Palestinians, best, maybe? Yeah, perhaps we go in the same basket. And the best way to protect, to safeguard the human rights of sex workers is to pursue a policy of full decriminalization of the sex industry for both clients, uh, managers, and sex workers themselves. So um, I guess what I'm trying to say is um, I'm not one of those people who think that only women can talk about women's issues, only sex workers can talk about sex work, etc. But if your opinions are consistently wrong and ignorant, I have a right to look at your experience, or lack thereof, as a charitable explanation as to why you are such a fucking bonehead on this issue. 